to this sermon every year, it's, it's a difficult one to preach on because the, the statistics and what's happening and what has happened in our country are obviously so shocking that they're difficult to dwell on very long. Um, abortion is such a gruesome topic that our capacity to handle the truth of what's happened is what leads to some of our inaction. But it's important, nevertheless, to, to highlight what has happened in our country. And so I've picked one, um, one statistic to pull out, um, particularly um, to the state of um, Virginia. In 2015, um, Virginia killed 15% of its one-year-olds. There were 120,000-some conceptions in Virginia. 18,000 of those ended in abortion. 15% of our one-year-olds in the state of Virginia in 2015 um, never saw life outside of their mother's womb. 15%. I wonder if you were to pick any other age group and you were to say... Our government has a state-sponsored program where 15% of that age group will not be here next year. How it would motivate you to consider the change and the truth that needs to happen? If I told you next year we're going to lose through state-sponsored program of killing 15% of 35-year-olds, you would say not in America. Maybe in some crazy regime in some South African somewhere, the jungles of somewhere, where some crazy military man is going through some kind of systematic state-sponsored genocide, but that is what's happened. That is what's happened. Now, the good thing on this topic of pro-life is it is not only a Christian stand, so there are people who are pro-life who are not Christian. There are folks who are pro-life from other religions, and there are atheists and agnostics who are not, I mean, who are pro-life. But the root of why we care about life is distinctly Christian, and not just distinctly Christian as it flows from a general Judeo-Christian ethical moral um, framework. It's particularly Christian because it strikes at Christ himself. And so I, I, could, I could show you and, and even thought as I was planning this particular sermon series, we could start at Genesis and God literally speaking life into existence and how life continued and that life has always been the activity of God and that sin entered the world and through sin came death and the result of sin and rebellion to God has led to death. We can look at cultures scattered throughout the Old Testament who killed their children as an act of worship and draw comparisons. We can go into the New Testament and talk about Christianity and how Christianity values particularly life at any place it is, whether it is old, whether it is young, whether it's facing a disability, whether it's facing a difficult circumstance or context, that none of those things are the way that God places value on individuals and individual life. But this morning, this year, I want to just focus on the incarnation of our Lord Jesus and how being pro-life 
laboring for an end to abortion in whatever ways we can is not just distinctively Christian, it's distinctively about Jesus and who Jesus is. And so we'll start there um, in just a second reading. My, my last word is that abortion touches more people than you might think. Statistically, it's likely if, um, if you're an intense here this morning that um, someone here may have had an abortion over the course of their life, may have been the father of um, an aborted child, or you had someone in your um, close family who has had an abortion. And so I, I know as we go into topics like this, there can be a lot of pain, um, a lot of emotional struggle with this particular topic that can kind of turn your brain off over the course because it's just too much to consider because it's so personal and so painful. And so I say on the front end, before we go into Luke 1, the important thing for you to know is that Jesus Christ is, as we said, risen. Jesus Christ is the healer. Jesus Christ is the one through his own death who has provided a way for the forgiveness of any type of sin except for unbelief. And so if you're right now, if you're about, you're like, this is just too hard. I'm just going to, my, my brain's going to tune out. I'm not sure I can even track. You need to hear on the front end that there is hope for you and there is healing for you. Even if you are a, a mom and you're even considering abortion here this morning, there is hope and there is a way forward for you charted by Jesus Christ that does not involve abortion and you've had an abortion healing from um, abortion and forgiveness for um, abortion and so I say that very loudly on the front end and would love to talk to you afterwards um, if that's something that you'd like to take advantage of Um, one of the things that we love about the pregnancy center is that they have bible studies for women who have had abortions to help them come to grips with what that means for their life and how to bring that crushing guilt to the Lord Jesus, the only one who can alleviate guilt through the forgiveness of sins and his own sacrifice and resurrection. So I say that on the front end um, before we come here to the word of our God in Luke 1, verses 39 down through 46, 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Because this is the word of our God. Let's pray this morning before we consider it. Father, we are grateful for this your word. It is a bulwark for us. It is a place for us to stand even when we consider such tragic and horrendous things like abortion. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us peace and truth and grace, and you would show us the ways that we can labor for and fight alongside you for life in our culture, for women and for children. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So what you see happening here, it's a passage that we looked at just a few weeks ago, we considered Christmas and the incarnation, um, is that we have um, somewhat of a, of a little playgroup. And so we have Elizabeth and we have Mary and both of their unborn children, John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, Mary's visit here presumably served two different purposes. One, Elizabeth was her relative, they were related, so she was making a family visit. Um, Elizabeth happened to also be miraculously pregnant. Less miraculously than Mary, um, Elizabeth was infertile and through the Lord's blessing um, allowed Zechariah and Elizabeth to conceive and not just conceive um, any old child, but to conceive John the Baptist, um, the greatest prophet um, who would ever live, the one who would be the immediate welcomer of the Lord Jesus and preparer for Jesus' ministry. But also, Mary, as we looked at, uh, leading up to um, Christmas, um, was not um, in the greatest of circumstances or context. To some degree, there were amazing circumstances that she was blessed of the Lord, as Elizabeth said, to conceive God Almighty in her own womb, the Messiah, the Christ. She would be the mom of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. But in the midst of that, she was, for, for lack of a better way to explain it, she was engaged, not yet mar married, and so her pregnancy brought with it the suspicion of adultery. She was poor, she was in not a great situation to be in, and so in part probably um, to hide the fact that she was currently pregnant, and yet she and um, Joseph, or fiancé, husband, had not yet had the part of the wedding process where they would consummate their marriage. Mary could go and be with Elizabeth so that she started to show there would not be as many questions. And so Mary was able to visit Elizabeth and stay with her. And so you have, as if you've ever had family come and visit, there's the moment that your family walks through the door and there are the yay greetings. And so here we're seeing the yay greetings of Elizabeth welcoming her relative Mary into the household. And some pretty unique things are spoken here that speak specifically to personhood and the, um, the, the pro-life movement and why we are so against abortion and pray for the end of abortion in our country. And the first one is very clearly, unequivocally, personhood begins at conception. It is, it is not a Christian position that is in question. It is not something that we need scientists to speak to as if they could even speak to it. My degree is in biochemistry. Science does not have the ability to speak to personhood. Personhood is a distinct declaration of our God who is three persons, yet one God. And you see here in the context of this playgroup between two moms and their unborn children, Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit, speaking about the unborn Jesus, the Christ, not that he might be her Lord, that one day he might grow up to be someone significant in the history of Israel. But at that moment, in the womb of Mary, he was. And so Jesus was Jesus in Mary's womb. Now, 
the personhood debate is significant if you're talking to people outside of Christianity, but for those people who are standing from within Christianity, standing on God's word, and I don't mean just Reformed Christians. I don't mean just Protestant Christians. I don't mean that this is a peculiar secondary theological view. I mean this is the only view for Christian theology is that personhood begins at conception because it is not just in general when we read Psalm 139 and David's trying to come up with places that he can get away from God. Could I go to Death's Shield? Could I go to the heights of heaven? Could I go in the forest seeds? Could I go over here? Can I go into darkness? He lists all of these places that he could get away from God and he mentions after that his own mother's womb before his birth as a location, and he's metaphorically saying conceivably could be a place that he could escape God and says not even there. So, personhood begins at conception because our God has declared it. And you see it here in this particular passage because it says that Elizabeth under the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. We might want to say, well, Elizabeth, it was tradition and culture, and maybe they thought conception was this. Under their culture, there are times that people say things in the Bible that are what they really think, but might not be true. But Elizabeth, under the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaims that it is true. And so Elizabeth... The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, speaking through her about the baby inside of Mary's womb says that is a person and not just a person, that is the second person of the Trinity. And that Jesus in the womb of Mary at that moment was truly, wholly, and completely human. There was nothing lacking in the unborn Jesus to make him anything other than truly, wholly, and completely a person. So again, it is an issue that gets labored on a lot. It doesn't need to be within the Christian church because it is something that every Christian, if they hold to the sufficiency and truthfulness of the word of God, we are convinced unequivocally about when personhood begins. Not just because in general it talks about babies, but the most important baby, the baby we worship, what was said about him. So it's not just in general Judeo-Christian, this is what we believe about life. This is what we believe about Jesus, our Savior, and his story. Pro-life is personal to all of us because it has to do with the life of Christ. The one who is currently resurrected. The one who is currently on the throne. And so, the components of Jesus' flesh and nervous system, and as he was in Mary's womb, those same cells that composed his body, the Lord Jesus, in the womb, those cells that were inside the womb of Mary are now on the throne of heaven. I don't mean that metaphorically, I mean that literally. God's resurrecting power when he rose Jesus from the grave rose up 
his body that at one time was inside the womb of Mary. So understand, pro-life and personhood are very personal to us as Christians. It's not just discouraged in our society, it's very personal to us and what we believe about Jesus. You cannot deny the personhood of, of, of uh, an unborn child and not deny the personhood of Christ. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that worship begins before birth. And this is just amazing. So what we see now here is mother and child worshiping alongside one another. Only mother, of course, is born, and child is not yet born. And so Elizabeth comments when Mary comes in that the sound of Mary's voice, John the Baptist, inside of Elizabeth's womb, began to kick. That John pre-birth, was worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. You see, God's intention from creation was that every born child and every unborn child would be a worshiper of the Lord God. God's original intention for sexual intimacy between husband and wife was evangelism. You know, how about that for an evangelism class? You know, sexual intimacy evangelism. Right? Be coming out the door. That was God's intention. God's intention was that Adam and Eve would come together and all of the children they would have and all of the children they would have and all of the children they would have would all, from their conception, be worshipers of the one true God. Sin ruined all of that. Sin's effects from Adam and on his children means that some children are conceived and are truly people, but are not yet worshipers of the one true Christ. God can, can convert us whenever he wants to. I was not, in my mother's womb, a worshiper of the Lord God. I was converted at age 16 in high school. But John the Baptist was converted in utero. God caused him to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and to worship the unborn Christ. And so you have a converted, unborn Christian worshiping the unborn Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an amazing picture there. And so God's intention to create worshipers is through people having children and worshipers, all child, all children give glory to God just from being a child in the way that every person who walks this earth gives glory being made in his image. But beyond that, you even see children saved before they're born. And so the trajectory and the reason we love the unborn is because those unborn people are made in God's image. And if they're not converted in the womb, have the ability to hear the gospel and so be converted in life. And so abortion kills worshipers. If, if I told you that through a state-sponsored program, 
15% of our congregation will be killed between now and next year. Again. That sounds like something that would happen to Christians somewhere crazy. They're being martyred by terrorists. That 15% of a congregation of worshipers are killed. And yet it's not just people in utero, it's worshipers of the one true God. And you see that here in this passage where unborn John worships alongside his born mother in front of born Mary, who is the mother of the unborn God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, it seems like this is a playgroup that is now turned into a Bible study where you have children and moms worshiping, praying, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the fact that some of them are not born does not matter at all. At all. Thirdly, as we work our way through this passage, atonement begins at conception. If you're unfamiliar with Christian theology, Jesus in his life and death made atonement for us. His absorbing, bearing, paying the penalty for our sins on the cross was one half of what he did to satisfy God's judgment against us. We call that the passive obedience of Jesus because he passively allowed it to happen to him. He did not kill himself. He was killed by the Romans and the Jews. The other half is Jesus' active obedience. Jesus' active obedience is that he, as perfect man, performed the law in full during every second of his life so that Christ did not only remove the record of sin against you, but provided for you the perfect record of obedience. And so Jesus does not just wipe the slate clean from all the bad things you've done and said, good luck from here on forward. He wipes the slate clean and says, and here is the record of your righteousness, so that before my Father, you stand as one who is perfect and righteous, a beloved child, as if you were me. That's the imputed righteousness of Jesus, which means, for example, right now, let's say that you just clued in to the sermon and you've really been zoning out for most of the service and been doing your grocery list or thinking about whatever else. And you think to yourself, oh, no, I have not been a perfect worshiper during this portion on this Sunday. The good news is that Jesus has not only died for your apathetic heart and your distractible heart. Jesus has worshipped perfectly on your behalf. And so when God comes to you and says, I'm looking for the record of a perfect worshiper from you, you have the record of Jesus' righteousness offered on your behalf. And so, Jesus' atoning ministry did not start when we pick up with his adult teaching ministry. Jesus' atoning ministry did not start when he was killed, put into a grave, and rose again. Jesus' atoning ministry started when he became a true man. 
with a true body, and as the Catechism says, a reasonable soul. And we see that here in the scripture that happened in, con in conception. So a part of the perfect record of righteousness that Jesus offers on our behalf is the perfect record of righteousness of a worshiping unborn child. It's a part of what our Christ has done for us. It is as if we're taking Psalm 139 and pulling it on this side of the cross. Oh, Lord God, is, is, is there some sin somewhere I've committed that could undo my relationship with you? Is there some lack of obedience? Some lack of even having just a, a heart that is perfectly trained on you at all times? And we were going to search it out. What about my college years? What about, what about when I was a teenager? What about my late married years? What about when I was in this job? What about when nobody thought I was doing? What about when I was in my mother's womb? And Lord God responds, my son was there too, providing for you the perfect record of, the, of obedience, even for you before you were born. So again, abortion strikes not only at the personhood of every person in the personhood of Christ as the incarnation, not only at worship, but at the atonement itself. If any portion of Jesus' active obedience was missing, none of us are converted. And so if he was not providing active atonement in utero, the entire salvation offered to Christians is undone and unraveled. But praise be to the Lord God, our Christ was even laboring for us before Mary went into labor. That is the beautiful, comprehensive personhood of our Lord Jesus, who was and is perfect man resurrected. Now, the difficult part comes, the tension comes when you sit down with someone who's considering abortion because the scale ranges everywhere from some abortions are done simply out of convenience as difficult as that is for me even to consider it's just not convenient to be a mom or a dad at that time on the scale all the way to very 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 difficult circumstances maybe tragic circumstances of rape or incest or mothers and fathers considering the, the ways that they'll grow up. And at, at every point, there is no convenience or circumstance that ever justifies any abortion at any case. There is always another option. It is always sin. Always. But it doesn't make those moments any easier which is why I'm grateful for pregnancy counselors and I'm grateful for friends. And the beauty of the Christian gospel is that Jesus' story comes close to those who are in crisis and tragedy and suffering and considering the inconceivable. And because we are united to this Jesus, our story is close to his, and we have been given 
the one thing that can bring true light and hope into any of those circumstances into which we go. And so when you consider, you might conceivably, this week, this month, this year, in your lifetime, sit down with a mother or a father that is considering abortion, you do not go alone. You go with the Lord Jesus. You go with the gospel. You go with light and you go with life. And the question about what you will say has already been answered. It's, it is easy what you will say. It is a difficult situation to be with someone, very difficult. But what you will say and who goes with you has already been decided. We're people on the side of life. We have, from the very beginning, have always been known as people like that because of who our Christ is and what he has done for us. One of the earliest records we have of Christians, one of the earliest records, when they didn't even know what Christian Christian theology was about. Um, Christians were first saw um, Christians in Antioch, um, and the word Christian actually means little Christ. Um, And so it means little Jesus's. Is, is what Christians are first called. But we have one Roman politician writing to another one saying, so I have this strange people group within my district, and listen to what they're doing. Um, it is our Roman practice that when we have a child we do not want, after its birth, we take it to the garbage dump, and we leave the child there so that through exposure, the child will die. And what this strange people group is doing that I need your help on, because I don't get this, they're going to the garbage dump and they're rescuing the children. Can you help me understand, who are these Christians? That was not their way of advertising. They weren't making a political statement. Their Christ, who had died in a garbage heap, had redefined love for them and what they were willing to do to love people made in the image of God. And so they simply went to the dump and listened for cries and uncovered the rubble and brought the children home and raised them as their own. Because Jesus was their Jesus and their Lord. That's how the gospel changes us what we think about ourselves and what we do in garbage dumps. And people notice, and so this is where I want to end um, with you this morning. I hope you'll be involved in the pregnancy center. I hope you'll speak up on opportunities that you have. I hope you will do everything you can within your circle of influence to bring an end to abortion in the United States of America. I think conceivably it could come down to us operating as Virginians before us operating as Americans. I can see the issue being tossed to the states, in which case we'll not just be Americans, we'll be Christians in Virginia trying to do what we can for the unborn Virginians in our state, 15% of whom die every year. What I think all of us can do, and where I think this comes to, is we can make sure that we delight in children, whatever age that they are. Parenting is difficult. It is. Children bring a measure of complexity to life. And I want you to adopt kids. I don't know of any children that are being left out at the local local dump. 
but I do know that there is a prevailing mindset in our culture that children as a whole are inconvenient and are something to be endured. So yes, we all need to have them, but you know, you should probably just live your life for, for a good many years and have as much fun as you can with your, with your spouse and then eventually you know, you've got to settle down and have kids, but don't worry, after a good 18 to 20 years, then you can get back on with your life again. That is not a Christian view of children. That does not value children as God has valued them. Something that, that I end up doing from time to time and how long with me when we're doing counseling of folks who have unexpected pregnancies. A lot of times we enter into a conversation where those folks are struggling with the fact that they did not plan for this child. Into that creeps the temptation that because they have not planned for their child, or that child was not what they had thought would come about, there was a certain level of sadness and grief. It's important in times like that to say, no, no. You may have sadness and grief about your plans that are different, but that child is precious. Every child conceived anywhere, by anyone, in any circumstance, with whatever life expectancy, with whatever challenges, whatever strengths, whatever gender, every child at every age is precious to us because we walk with Jesus. And all of you can do that. All of you can grow in your delight of children and stand against a societal view that children are a burden or a complexity or something to be endured. No, we love them. Because our Lord loves them and he was one of them. I would again long for non-Christian politicians to write letters and say, there's this people group within my culture. And I don't quite know what they believe, but they love children. Every kind, everywhere, no matter what the circumstances, unborn or born. Help me understand these people. I would long for that to be said of us again. And as we've seen in this passage, for that to be true means that we fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus, whose own story was as an unborn infant, and a born infant, and a young child, and who himself brought children into his arms and said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to be like one of these. And so let us labor, let us pray, let us do what we can um, for children as we follow our Lord Jesus as worshipers of him in great gratitude that we were not aborted, that we had a chance to speak for children who might be and that in space and time we came to know the Lord Jesus. What amazing grace to us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for you and what you've done and for your word and for your gospel and that even you've given us this word to call you by. Out of all the words we could call you by, out of all of the words in scripture, the one that you wanted us to say most, Father, thanks for designating, Lord, our core identity as children. We would pray for an end of abortion in the United States of America. But more than that, we would pray for an end of the practice of abortion always. And we would pray for it because people meet you 
And this thing called the church is a place where folks who are struggling against life can come and find hope and forgiveness. And this would be a place where we would love children. No matter where, no matter what. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we respond by singing to our good, good father.